preparing, going through it, revising it, more came, and more and more and more. And as I was in the office early hours yesterday morning, and Pastor Jay came and we prayed, and I was at 16 pages more to add to this service. Really hard. It's been quite an intense week, and um, so I'd just like to open in prayer. I really need to trust God and His Holy Spirit to speak through me this morning. And that the focus would be on the Lord. Father, we just ask, I ask, Lord, personally, that your spirit would fill me. That it would be your words that would speak through me. Your compassion, love for everybody here in this room. And Lord, we ask that your word would um, help us to realize that it is Jesus who is speaking at this time with his disciples and with these 70 men. But this word is a living word for all of us to listen very carefully for our own personal needs, for our own personal calling with the Lord. Help us to understand that. Help us to know that you're communicating through your word to each individual in this room and the importance of that. It's not my words, it's your words. And Lord, I pray that I can proclaim this in a way that uh, will honor and glorify you and help those as they uh, feel the nudging in their heart to stand up to stand firm in their faith, to step up, to go maybe. Lord, you say you send us. Lord, we want to be faithful and obedient in this morning. And I just ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to share a little thing to lighten it up a bit this morning. As I got in yesterday morning, I was very intense and focused on how I'm going to deliver this message and what's going on as well. And this came up on my screen. It's about three sisters, okay? So follow along with me. I'm going to give you their ages. Three sisters, ages 92, 94, and 96, lived together. One night, the 96-year-old drew a bath. She put one foot in and then paused. Was I getting in the tub or out? Hmm. She yelled. The 94-year-old hollered back. I don't know. I'll come and see. She started up the stairs, but stopped on the first step, shouting, Was I going up or coming down? The 92-year-old was sitting at the kitchen table, having tea, listening to her sisters. She shook her head and said, I sure hope I never get that forgetful, and knocked on wood for good measure. Then she yelled, I'll come up and help you both as soon as I see who is at the door. So the Lord lightened my spirit to face what he was going to show me all yesterday morning. As we were trying to show you with that song again that we had last week, do something. What is God asking you to do with your life here? What is God calling you to do? And as we've been looking through Luke, it's so important to see what he is saying to us. In the, if you open your Bibles, please, everybody have a Bible open so that It's not me you're listening to, it's the Word of God. In red, that is Jesus speaking, and He is actually speaking to you this morning. You see Matthew West, who's the singer of that song, he says there, I shake my fist to heaven. How how are you feeling today with what's going on in the news? What's happening in our world today? I bet some of you are saying, you know, God, what are you doing? I watched the trailer to the new Left Behind movie with Nicolas Cage. 
and the daughter that gets left behind is standing next to a preacher who got left behind. And she says, what is going on? And he says, this is what God has been telling us would happen. And the daughter says, my mom talked about God. And her God would not allow something like this to happen. But her mom was gone and her little brother. Are we saying and shaking our fist at heaven, God, why don't you do something? And look what he says in the next part of the song. I have. I created you. He's created us. We've got the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom from the word of God, the truth, to be able to stand up to what's the truth. What do we need to do for other people? Remember, I gave you the question to ask yourself, what in the world does a Christian do? Have you been asking that all week? What in the world does a Christian do? In this chapter, we see that God is reminding us once again of our theme verse, our vision verse. We are ambassadors, stroke missionaries, if that. I remember taking my sons to the first time to the public school here in Yoder. And as I was dropping them off, they were nervous. And I said, boys, just remember, you're going out into the mission field here. Every day you go out of this, every Sunday you leave here, you're going out into the mission field. You're being called. Another thing that came back to me this week was, as I looked through Luke, we see how Jesus came. It was an impossible situation, how he was born, brought into this world. We see a little bit as, as he's a kid growing up, and then we lose him a little bit for a while, and then he comes back as he starts his ministry. And we're following what he is doing, and so are the disciples. He says to the disciples, he goes up to these men and says, follow me. He came up to me 24 years ago and said, Wayne, this is your defining moment. This is your choice. I'm asking you to follow me. So these men start following him. And But what's happened now? What, what is going on now in our message here? He's not saying follow me anymore, is he? He's saying Go. He started with the 12 guys and sent them in pairs. He said, go and do this now. So we've been watching Jesus do the work. So was his disciples. And now he says to his disciples, stop following me now. Get out there and do what I've been doing. And then we look at this passage now. Look at verse 1 with me. Look what it says here. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. So there's more than 12. There have been people following in the background, watching the disciples do their thing with Jesus, and they've committed their lives as well. Seventy others, and sent them in pairs ahead of them to every city place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest and send out the laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you. Power and authority comes from God. Jesus is saying, go, I send you. What is he saying to you personally? It's so important to identify the importance of that. The other thing was send in pairs. I don't know if some of you remember what happened to me last week. Right after I put this down in my notes, I go home for a cup of coffee, sit down with Linda, and there's a knock on my door. I look through the blinds. There's two men standing at my door in a white shirt and black pants. 
That's never happened to me here. Is that a coincidence? I happen to be reading about what on earth do Christians do? And two men come knocking on my door. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses do it. Which we look at their religion, criticize it, dissect it. They haven't got it quite right. Some have got it really messed up. But what is Jesus saying to me? What was going on? Why did he send two men to my door and knock that day? It's a message. What on earth are Christians doing? That's what he gave me. What in the world does a Christian do? And the scriptures tell us here. You know, I started to notice as you follow this book, it establishes a pattern for us to follow. You do this, I'm going to do that for you. If you don't do that, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, this is what I'm going to do to you. So look at Israel. Those that have been reading through the whole Bible with me, isn't it shocking? Isn't it so amazing? He's saying, do this, guys. He sent his prophets. They were abused. The religious people didn't listen to him. Those were the chosen ones. They gave the message. Look, God is saying, do this, and this is what's going to, this is what will take place. But if you don't, let me tell you what I'm going to do to you. And look what he's still doing to Israel. It isn't over. In pairs, the workers, why in pairs? If you thought about it, I thought about it when I got in Africa in the bush. I used to do it on my own, and then until I realized, when I got chased by a few elephants a couple of times, who was going to be there to help me? If I got injured, go in pairs. You're there, it's companionship, it's protection, it's encouragement for one another. If one falls, the other one can pick each other up. Ministry is not easy. It's definitely not easy. Thank you, Pastor Jake. And, uh, yeah, it hasn't been easy for me this week. Jesus outlines in the message here, verse 2, labor force is weak. The competition is fierce as wolves in verse 3. Travel amenities are not ideal. The time is limited. The pay depends on others, verse 7. The message can be rejected, verse 10. Obedience can be alienating, verse 11. Jesus encourages these 70 disciples first by giving them a realistic evaluation of this mission trip. Twice calling them laborers. So I want to ask you, do you read this just as the story about the 70 men? Or are you reading this to see what God is saying, this is how... This is this, this. I'm establishing a pattern for you here. Because that's how I re- have read it for 24 years. That's how I've traveled to five different countries in my family. That's what I'm expecting to happen to me. Doing the work of the kingdom of God is labor. It's hard work. We need each other. We mustn't fight amongst ourselves. Ministry work is hard. We need to be encouraging those that 
are called to go. Those that have been bold and courageous to go out to share the gospel. I, you know, I'm a big fan of these tracks. While we have some in the foyer, my particular favorite, Ticket to Heaven. So I was at the pastor's luncheon at uh, 12 o'clock on Thursday, and we're praying, and one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, you, you love handing out tracks. It's your passion. I've got a story for you for one of these. I said, oh, great. He says, a pilot, really, a pilot in Alaska that loves his drink, a rough guy. Well, he takes off to go and pick up some clients in the middle of the back of Alaska. And as he's flying, all of a sudden, a track flies up and lands on his windscreen like that. Right in his face. So his buddy says to him, so what did you do? He said, what can I do? I read it. The whole way there, a couple of times. And then what did you do? I believed it. If God could get that track up on my windscreen for the whole flight. So then what did you do? He said, I believed it and I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. God can do anything. We're following Him and Him saying, I can do the impossible. John 9, 4 says, We must work the works of Him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. We, we, who's the we? Who's the we? We must work the works of him who sent me. See, there's a pattern established. Jesus Christ came as a man just like you and I. He didn't use his power as God. He walked, he ate, he drank, he was tired, he cried, he wept, he got angry, he threw tables. But he sets a pattern. It's here in the word of God for us to follow. I love how he also tells us in this passage, God was responsible for the harvest. His laborers were responsible for the laboring faithfully. Doesn't that take some burden off you? When I first started trying to get out and proclaim the kingdom of God, and I'd be pouring out my heart to someone, and they'd just kind of right over their head. They didn't get it. It would frustrate me. I'd go back, pray, God, why? why? Why can't they get this? Why can't they see it? Remember, we had some people around at our table, and we, for a few days it stayed with us. We were sharing and sharing and sharing. And eventually my youngest son says, Wow, what is it that you cannot see? Why don't you get this? What in the world does a Christian do? Oops. How long do we keep following before we realize that this is for a time? But then Jesus is saying, Go. I send you. Have you. Can you see it? Or was it just me? It's no more following. We've done that. We've gone past that. We're here. He said to those disciples on the lake shore, Come on, follow me. Have you noticed this through the book, that when he says follow, it's followed by information on how we're going to do this. Real Christianity is built on truth, on teaching, on listening, on learning. And here's the big one, on obeying. You've got to read this and you've got to get this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ connected. It's got to be deep. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. You've got to love. You've got to feel the pain of why we take communion. 
Why did he say, remember this and do this? Because this hurt me. This really hurt me a lot. Because I was a man just like you. Can you do that? That's what he said to me one day. Can you go through this, Wayne? What do we do next? Remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Simon answered and said, Master, I will do as you say. Remember at this point, here's the carpenter. Here's the fishermen. They've come in. They're cleaning their nets. They've been out all night. You fish at night to catch these fish. They're exhausted. They're going to go back and take a nap and get ready for the night's fishing. And here's a carpenter guy who says, dude, go back out there. Why did he listen? Well, for one, while he was cleaning his net, he was listening to Jesus over here talking to the crowd. He was listening. And then he gets asked to do something. He thinks about it and then he says, I will do as you say. Master, I will do as you say. Peter listened. He took a single step of faith giving God the opportunity to intertwine his act of obedience with the impossible that was about to come about. You see, you're not going to see God do the impossible in your lives until you take that step of faith. You have to take the step of faith to see this intertwining relationship become all about him, not you. We have no idea what hangs in the balance when we make a decision to follow him, to obey, to just do it. We have no idea what's lying in the balance. We read, we listen to the teaching, and we see what happens to those who actually take that practical step of faith. We see it. We see changes taking place. The scriptures also say, For amazement had seized him, and all his companions, this is Peter, on the boat, because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James, John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So he's a businessman and he has partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. So what is that saying? Do not fear. Because what he's going to call you to do, involve you in, yeah, we are weak. It is scary. He doesn't give you the whole plan. There's no strategy laid out. There's no itinerary for you to follow. There is a pattern, however, to get you where he's telling you. It's here in the Word of God. From now on, you will be catching men. And that's the thing about why I focus so much on you about reading the whole Bible. Because it's a journey. And as you're journeying through the Bible, you open a passage, you face something during the day, and you go, oh, wow. Look at that. I need that to get through today. Verse 10, have a look at, oh sorry, verse 10 of the, in the scriptures of Matthew talking, it says, Jesus saying, I have a future for you. Do not be afraid. And that's where we all fall short. We all fall short of that because we're afraid. And look at our world today. Look at the amount of people that are walking away 
from following Jesus Christ. Look at our younger generation. We are blessed as a church to have these frontier students here. Please, I ask you to pray for them. This is not an easy calling to go through this study at the school. And they have to work. And they're going to get attacked. Because the devil does not want any of these kids to follow through, to follow him and go to where it is when they're finished. Because there's no money, there's no schedule, there's no itinerary, you have no idea how you're going to get from A to B. You don't know how it's going to turn out either. This is faith here. This is young faith in our congregation here. As a church, we need to support that. We need ministers. We need more coming out to to fill the churches. You heard Kevin share about the statistics. 1,500 pastors a year quitting in America. Something like 7,000 churches a year shutting down. These students are important. So now we go and we're told the harvest is too big for you and you are charged to pray. How many of you know off by heart every missionary we have here that we support? Our missionaries are out there in the battlefield, some in the most horrendous places, some just here in America, and I can tell you something, the battle's here at home too. Pray. But you know what he's looking for when you pray? He knows if you know this missionary or not. Lord, I want to pray for Moses. Do you know Moses? Do you know his kids' names? Do you know his wife's name? Your prayer ain't going to have any impact. He wants to know you deeply, deeply concerned. You love this guy. You took a hold of the rope and told him, I'll not let this rope go down. I will not let you fall. It's a deep concern. It's love. It's genuine love for others. Franklin Graham's comment in an email I got this week says, Is the world coming apart at the seams? As you watch the news, do you feel, as I do, that it seems the world is coming apart at the seams? There appears to be no end of the bad news. I asked Linda, do you want to look at the news last night? She said, oh, what for? It's terrible. It's got worse every day this week. The killing of Christians by Muslims in Indonesia, Bangladesh, to Pakistan, China, tearing down church buildings. Christians tortured, beheaded, and crucified in Iraq. With villages burned and churches destroyed, and much the same in Syria. I can't help but wonder if we are in the last hours of our Lord Jesus Christ returns to rescue his church. As Christian, God calls us to take the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Only union with Christ is their hope for salvation in the world. Verse 3. Have a look with me again in your Bibles. What is it saying there? Go, go, behold, I send you out. Who sends you out? God. And don't panic. Listen to him. It could be just here in town, somewhere in this community. If you knew it this, he'll start you in Jerusalem, your town. And then you'll spread and you'll grow. God will not give you anything that you cannot handle. He knows you personally, intimately. 
He's looking for your commitment. But here's a warning in verse 3. Out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a fact. We are vulnerable. Very vulnerable as Christians. The wolves are ferocious. That's why he chose to use this word. And he chose to tell you how pathetic you are. How pathetic I am. I'm so pathetic, people can say words to me and they really hurt me. And I don't know how to bounce back. Just words. The world is full of wolves. Our calling is dangerous as we invade enemy territory. The more I proclaim this to you, the more I encourage you what Jesus is telling me to do, to say to you, the more my family and more I'm going to get attacked. Why are these pastors quitting? They can't take it. Because the fight is inside the church as well. But as long as they, us as well, rely on the Lord, they and we, we would win the battle. But look at your world. Look at your community. Look at your country. Why is this all happening? It's because we need to ask the question over and over. What on earth does a Christian do? We need to pray hard. This church, as I keep saying what God is telling me to say, as I'm saying word for word what this Bible says, verse by verse, you're hearing it and you're a threat to the devil and his demons. The more we get challenged, and I know some of you are because you're sharing the emails with me, you're handing our tracks to people, you're about the kingdom work. The devil is at work trying to stop you as well. We see Jesus establishes this pattern. And one that he himself lived. We've watched this since he came on earth. Okay, We're reading about it. He's lived out what he's telling these disciples to go and do now. I'm standing here and most of the things I ask you to do, I have a story attached to it. I have done it. I am not a preacher up here that's going to ask you to do things and I have no idea because I've never done it myself. I won't do that. Jesus establishes this pattern. He challenges, challenges them to live the same way as he is doing. Look at verse 4. What does it say there? Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. How does that make any sense? Well, it did for these 70 because they've been following this, this man, the God-man, the Son of God. Jesus Christ has walked his three years here doing this. And he's telling us to read about me, him, and say, follow me. Now I'm saying go, and I'm saying follow my established pattern. Because when you think about it, if you do that, what is the purpose of us? Is to glorify God. Not so? Everything is to bring glory to God. So when you follow this pattern, what takes place? One, you are totally dependent and you're believing what the Word of God says. Your, your trust grows immensely. Your faith is challenged to the utmost. And He comes through. What do you do? Oh my Lord. 
Oh my God, this is unbelievable. I gotta go tell somebody. This track hit a windscreen of an airplane. I asked him, so what else has that pilot been doing? He says, oh, he's out of control. He's in all the bars. He's, he's got his track. He's bought track. He wants to just get this out there. Guys, you gotta hear this. God got a track on my windscreen. What is he calling you to do? It seems impossible. Why? Because you gotta be dependent on him. Whilst you go, he's preparing you for what lies ahead. This week I heard my mentor Mac. I phoned him to tell him what I'm going through. And I, this is just a godsend of a man. That's why I always encourage you. Find a good mentor. Boy, because you need that buddy. Because we're supposed to be in pairs. He's my other pair. You know what he says? Because I'm nearly becoming a statistic like the other pastors. He says, no you're not. You have been prepared for such a time as this. Where is that in the Bible? Thank you. Wow, awesome. We are a Bible church. You have been prepared for such a time as this. How does a buddy do that to you? He's supposed to say, yeah, you're right, Wayne. Just give it up. I'm on my bicycle listening to that in the middle of the highway going, really? What in, what in the world does a Christian do? Jesus warned his disciples, and I want you to look at this because I need you all strong. Matthew chapter 24, please. Open your Bibles there, and once again you'll see in red, this is Jesus saying this, and this is for a time like this. This is what we're facing today. We're going to pick up in verse 4 through 14, and when you're there, just shout amen. Okay, follow along with me. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. At, the, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But one... But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I want you to really take some time, find a good commentary, pray, ask Jesus to make this alive to you. Amazing passage. Deep. A lot of theology in there. What in the world does a Christian do? It's verses 5 and 6, back to Luke. It says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. My goodness, it's, who is the evangelist here? Jesus doesn't stop with this, doesn't he? We've heard it for Sunday after Sunday, and it's not Wayne being an evangelist. 
This is Jesus Christ. This is his word. This is his passion. Come on, go. Proclaim the kingdom of God. I'll show you how urgent this is. This is why I don't want you to stop and talk to people about it and get in a big theological debate. Take a look at what's happening out here in the world. I need disciples. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. You know, when Linda and I knew God was sending us to Ireland, we didn't know where to go, who to stay in this young couple that Linda went to high school with when she was a junior, uh, sorry, went to school with in junior school. Phones out the blue from Ireland to Zimbabwe and says, if you ever want to leave the country, well, you've got a home to come to. Why would she do that? Only Linda and I knew God was moving us. So we have a home to go to. I phone her and I say, I've got two boys. I have got no money. They'll, they will strip search us. They'll let us take what we can in our suitcases. I've got no degrees, college degrees. I'm coming to a first world country. I might not get a job. What are you saying? Don't worry about it. She says, come. I said, I got two boys. I told you. I won't be able to give you any money. Doesn't matter. I said, has your husband got a job? No, he's never got one since we moved here. I don't know how long they'd been there. Got a number of years. It stressed him out so much he'd become an alcoholic. I'm going, oh my goodness, this is not a fit. And she kept coming back and saying, you need to come. Start your life here. You'll be fine. And so we go. I arrive at the house. And first meal we have, and they, God, that was amazing. They bought a bigger deep freeze. They filled it to the top. And they said, I don't want to hear a whine out of you about providing. When this deep freeze is empty, then we'll talk about filling it up again. They bought bunk beds. They bought Superman duvets for my, my boys. They made us feel welcome. But right there at the table, my first meal, I said, let's pray. And he said, I don't want any of that religious mumbo-jumbo in my house. Mm. And when I read this, it really hurt me because this man died. Mm. Look what it says. If a household, householders were worthy, and I looked into this, had a proper attitude toward God, then the blessing would stand. My blessing didn't stand. Such people would be open to the gospel message. He was not. But if people were not worthy, then the blessing would return to the one who had given it. God's word prepares you. Man, it's unbelievable. I didn't know this till now. Verse 7, Jesus also directed these two disciples to not to move around from home to home. And this could offend families. But also, they needed to be focused on the task at hand. The disciples were willing, had to be willing to eat and drink what their host provided. I had to be willing to do that. I had to humble myself and receive from this couple. And you know what it goes on to say there? Because the labor is worthy of his wages. He deserves his pay. After all, they were laboring for God. Now I want you to turn to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. And when you're there, shout amen. 
Oh, super. All right, so we're going to pick up at verse 14 through 16. It says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And as I'm reading this, I want you to understand this is me. This is Paul writing this, but this is me. I had a very big pride attitude of coming out of business, being self God had provided for me, made me successful, and everything like this. And then he brings me down to a level of this, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To take no money, no belt, no wallet. It's hard. But from this point on, from that point, as I started to learn this calling, this what he required of me to humble myself, to rely on others, to keep me in the ministry. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. I'm not reading this about a laborer's worth his wages for my case. Okay? I need you to understand that. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast empty. I don't want any man. And it goes right back to Abraham. Did you notice when Abraham went to go get Lot? When Lot was taken captive and the people... He went and he took him out and he got everybody back. The kings of that region said to him, Oh, Abraham, come here. Let's give you this. Let's give you that. Do you remember what Abraham said? Uh-uh. I want any man to boast that it was you that made me successful. No, I don't want any of it. S is the same for me. I don't want any man to destroy my boast in Jesus Christ. I want the God stories. I love them. I love when he does the impossible in my life. I love how Mark Schultz came into the situation through verses and how we meet. Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. I want the God stories throughout the scriptures coming alive. I don't want any man to make his boast, my boast, an empty one on the gospel. For I preach the gospel. Look at this. I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion, and woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That's how I feel. You know, even when I was at work and someone would come in, and all I would wanted to do was share my testimony and share the word of God. I'd get home, and my wife would say, so how was work today? Oh, i got to tell you, this guy came in, and we did this. How long did you do that for? I just finished. Did that guy buy anything? No. But I tell you, it was the best day I had. I do this because I love Jesus Christ. I love why he says, remember this. Because I'm a coward. I couldn't go to the cross. Take that beating. But then as I committed more, the challenge grows. In Titus, it's, you can go back to Luke. It's in, in sorry, 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Today, I want to ask you all, as you look at the budget... Please do not use me, my Linda, or my boys. I am not here to create division in this church. I love you guys. I have a God story how I got you. We are very grateful for what God has provided for us through this church. 
But don't use me in a battle for authority and power. Because we saw this in Luke. What did the disciples say to Jesus Christ? What did they mumble between themselves? They were wondering who was going to be more successful. Who was going to sit on the right hand of Jesus Christ? I'm not here for power or authority or anything. I'm just a simple Zimbabwean here. I know I was told to go. You did not recruit me. I made a promise to the Lord that I'll be his shepherd and not a hireling. I am not for hire. Linda and the boys and I have been sent. And I need you to understand something, and I've gotten into trouble for this before. Maybe it's the Mundell's name. Maybe it's the way I was brought up in a country that spent my whole teenage life at war. But I take my calling very serious. My relationships with you are very serious. We are not shallow. We are not double-minded. We are sincere. And we are here to proclaim the kingdom of God and to shepherd you. In John chapter 10, verses 11 13, this is when God got a hold of me as I stepped up to take more responsibility, be more accountable for the word of God. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. What is happening to the world today? We've got no pastors. We've got people scattered all over the world. Lawlessness is taking over and what is happening? Love is called. They don't care. I care. I care a lot and I'm overprotective sometimes. He flees because he's a hired hand, is not concerned about the sheep. I'm not a hired hand. We're ambassadors of peace. I've traveled a long way following God. Bring good news of salvation to lost sinners. I want to see people saved. I want that candle lit. I want God to save people before he comes. I want you to switch on the news this week, okay? And I want you to think about the end times. I want you to think about that you're gone. You've been raptured. You're in heaven. And look what's going on in Syria, Pakistan, Indonesia. Look how they are killing each other. Beheading people. What do you think the tribulation is going to be like? When the saints are taken. There's no more Holy Spirit on earth. You are seeing what this world will look like for seven years of tribulation. You are getting a taste, a view of a place that people are going to, has got no value on people. This is what hurts me. If they do not hear the truth. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim it is near right now to people. I see bits of the news and I, and I wonder, are we in the last hours? Before our Lord Jesus returns to rescue his church and pours out his wrath on the world? 
Do you know, do you remember when he goes to Matthew's house? That sinner, that tax collector. And he's in there with more sinners, more tax collectors. Where are the religious people? The Pharisees? They're standing outside talking to the disciples. They're not inside. Where are we going to be standing when Jesus Christ comes? Inside or outside? Our personal relationship with God needs to be defined. I don't know if we have hours, days, or years, but as Christians, God calls us to take the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He is saying it. We have to warn sinners of the consequences, to tell them about God's loving, gracious, and His willingness to forgive them for their sin. We have to accept the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. This is what we preach at Monument Bible Church. Jesus Christ died was buried and he is risen and ultimately this is what matters to God this is what matters to Jesus Christ this is why he did what he did to save look at that Ebola over a thousand lives already taken now as long as it's day we must do the works of him who sent me night is coming when no one can work And then we see further down in this passage, he, he mentions three ancient cities, Sodom. Oh, take a look at that in Genesis. Tyre and Sodom, pagan cities. And then he mentions three cities within his time, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And he says to them, you know, these three ancient cities, if I was there and I did what I did amongst you, they would have repented. They would have taken deep repentance. They would have put on sackcloth and satin ashes, which is, depicts a morning of repentance. It's a person who humbles himself or herself by wearing only this rough cloth, and it's made from goat hair and sitting in a pile of ashes. These three cities had been given more, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. They had been, been given privileges than the three ancient, city, three ancient cities. And therefore, they had more responsibility. So if you read this and you see what he's saying, what about America? What about America? How much privilege have you had? in comparison to these other cities, nations. In verse 15, look what it says there with me. Have you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. Place of the dead. Because they had seen the Messiah and rejected Him. In Isaiah in chapter 14, verse 12 through 15, we see there where he says, where the prideful attitude is condemned. We have to be careful. The Greek word translated the place of the dead is Hades. The dwelling placement of the condemned wicked people. You see it in Revelation mentioned again. Today the site of Capernaum is desolate. 
Stunning picture of what Jesus is saying, isn't it? In verse 16, it says, The one who listens to you. Okay, are you all looking at your Bibles? It's in red. Jesus is saying, The one who listens to you. Who is the you? Listens to me. Me is Jesus, right? Capital. But who is the you? The one who listens to you. Let's go back right here. It says, go, I send you. It's the disciple. It's It's us. You are going out if you're called. You are sent. The one who listens to you listens to Jesus. The one who listens to you, the missionary. The one who is proclaiming the kingdom of God then listens to Jesus Christ. And listen to this now. And the one who rejects you, who's the you? Rejects me, Jesus Christ. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Jesus' messengers are important people. They are sent with authority. In ancient times, when a person dealt with a messenger, it was the same as dealing with the person who had sent him. They were sent with a commission to represent the Lord. What is Monument Bible's theme verse, version verse? What does it say there? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are sent. What does an ambassador do? It represents the country he's going. If he's sent from America, he's the ambassador from the United States. And whoever he's sent, he represents this nation. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are sent to represent him. Not only were they sent by him, but they were also sent before him to prepare the way for his coming. You know, you know how this ends in the book. As I read that part, prepare the way for his coming, that's in verse 1. Are we not supposed to be doing that? In John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. I also send you. You know, in conclusion of the, my study of this whole passage we've done, I looked at Warren Worsby's. What did he, how did he summarize this whole thing? And I kid you not. Do you know how he summarized this whole passage? With Monument Bible's vision verse. Remember last week I said there's no such thing as the word coincidence. It's not. Therefore, we ambassadors for Christ, and as though God were making an appeal through us, that's us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In closing, what in the world does a Christian do? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Why should we? And as the deacons and elders gather together for communion, I tell you why we should. Because we need to, we're going to be remembering what he did on the cross, yeah? That's why we should. But also in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 49, it says, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. 
and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. That's why we should do this. Jesus also established another pattern for us to follow, and this is the Lord's Supper. You know, this should be a celebration of unity. And here at Monument, we have an open communion for all that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior to partake with us in this. But you know, as I uh, came to this closing part in my study, and I hope I was getting my verses out, which is from 1 Corinthians, and just before where the title comes, the Lord's Supper, I've never seen these two verses. In verse 18 of chapter 11, it says, For in this, sorry, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it, says Paul. How old is this book? Verse 19, it says, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be become evident among you. I sat and I thought about that. And then the Lord led me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And so we come to this table. Paul goes on to say, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body in which for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, This is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's, put, let's do it.